Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another week of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. I know you are going to absolutely love today's conversation. As usual, I try my very, very best to bring you content each week that offers inspiration, motivation, and of course, practical information that you can apply to your business, your career, and your life. Well, today, I am delighted to have on the show, Sol Blinkoff. Now, you may have heard of him before, especially if you're into movies and animation. What we're going to do is explore his wonderful story, or I should say stories, because there's quite a few of them, of how he scaled up his dreams as a kid, turning them into reality as a grown-up. And it's really the journey of all the different things that happened and how he made decisions that really came from an amazing sense of confidence, self-belief, determination, and hard work, not to mention awesomeness, which I'll get into a little bit later, and kindness. And one thing you'll find from the get-go is soul just radiates a heap of energy and that energy is infectious. Now, you can definitely Google who Soul Blinkoff is and you can go to the um, the movie database IMDb, which will tell you about the many contributions that he's made to the world of movies and animation. And if you're anything like me, this is an industry that's had a huge impact on my life. And I think regardless of age, gender, culture, status, films have the ability to inspire us, to spark creativity, make us feel seen and heard. And some of my most impactful memories have come from films that have inspired different things in me. Now, Sol began his career as an animator for the Walt Disney Studios, pretty cool, hey? Working on the hit films Pocahontas, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Mulan, and Tarzan. He made his directional debut with the hip action adventure series Spy Grew for MTV. And then shortly after, he rejoined Disney and is now currently supervising producer at DreamWorks, working on award-winning show Madagascar. So in this conversation, what are you going to get? Well, we're going to firstly talk about what sparked his dream as a child to pursue a career in animation and importantly, how he made that happen. We're going to talk about the roller coaster ride and the various challenges that he experienced pursuing that dream when a lot of people said it couldn't be done, particularly for a, a young guy growing up in a small town. And then we're going to go into the highs of his career, the values that it has taught him over the years, and how we ourselves can apply them into our lives, regardless of what profession or vocation we have chosen. It reminds me how often in life we allow other people to change the trajectory of what our goals are. Tons and tons of useful stuff here, tons of insights, very, very inspiring stuff. We have to make it real. If you feel it, they'll feel it and put that into everything in life, our relationships, our, our careers, live a life of sincerity. With an ongoing mission to speak around the world, sharing practical tools for success, meaning and fulfillment in all aspects of life, I'm happy to welcome someone who will bring an enormous amount of positivity all the way from the happiest place on earth right here today to the show. Welcome to Scale Up with Nick Bradley, Solvin. Hey, everybody. It is Nick Bradley here. Welcome to another episode of Scale Up. Uh, as always happens, right? Like before I press record, I get into this amazing conversation with the guest who's coming on. And that's where I can always test the energy levels, right? To just to see if we're going to get on or if it's going to be a bit frosty. I can tell you right now, we hate each other. We hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Today on the show, I have Mr. Soul Blinkoff. You've done some crazy stuff, man. Like first and foremost, you have worked, you know, Disney, DreamWorks, a career in animation, working on some amazing films, like some stuff that, as I said, if my kids run in at some point, they're going to be like, ah, 
freaking out. You've also got this cool podcast called Life of Awesome. You speak on stages around the world sharing your message. It is a, a delight, sir, to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Nick. Yeah, um, I've never heard the adjective frosty before. Ooh. Is that a is that a UK word? What does that mean? It's a word that means sometimes <laughs> someone comes on right, and 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 you 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 just can't have a conversation. They right. they, they just don't want to cold. be cold and frosty. They yeah, they don't they that. don't want to be there, right? No, and no, you're no. like, I'm gonna try and make this an interesting show. Right, I hear you, brother. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm so excited to be here and and love the work that you do. So thanks for having me, man. No, it's great. Like you know, as I was um talking about before we press record. The show has gone through its own transitions over the last three years, you know, 250 episodes in, we started off talking a lot about business, but then we realized that people are listening to this show, trying to be inspired actually about different directions and different opportunities that they can do in their lives. Right. And so, you know, a lot of what you talk about is that as well. So I'm looking forward to getting into that today, but let's, Excellent. let's kick off. Let's kick off. So I mentioned before, you know, a pretty full on career with some, some amazing companies. How did you how did you start, you know, your career as an animator? How does someone get into that? Yeah, well, you know, I, I didn't grow up in Hollywood. I didn't grow up in the filmmaking world at all. Actually, I grew up in New York and I didn't even know that a person could be a filmmaker. I didn't even know that you could have a creative job. I mean, people I knew were teachers, business owners. My dad was a doctor. You know, I didn't know that you could be creative. Uh, I think it really all started. I mean, when I was a kid, I loved to draw. That's really the first thing I did. I, I mean, like all kids, I drew everywhere. I drew, I drew on walls with my mother's lipstick. You know, if there's any kids listening, please don't try that at home. No, you know? no I'm going to make sure this is muted before the kids. They, they do get right. in, they'll say, oh, soul said that you could do it. That's so. right. He said you could do it. So look, I love drawing. Um, I think it really started when I was 11 years old. I went to the movies and I saw a movie that changed my life. What's I that? saw the movie E.T., Right, oh, that we just played that for the first Did time you? for my seven-year-old. She hasn't really, she kind of felt, thought it was scary, but we had it on I've like heard two weekends say ago. That. Yeah, but it's a powerful movie. It's emotional. And I remember the credits were rolling. I tap my mom and I say, mom, that's what I want to do someday. And she was like, what, you want to leave planet Earth in a spaceship? And I was like, no, mom, I want to make movies. And like I said, I grew up in New York. I didn't know that movies were something you could do. Um, so I went to the library. I got books on cameras, lenses, storyboarding. I found out the director of E.T., Steven Spielberg, made movies on weekends with kids in the neighborhood. So I got my twin sister, my older brother, kids in the neighborhood, and we started making movies every weekend, murder movies, monster movies. I made a, a kidnap movie. I tapped, so you were the I, director, were you? Were you like, oh, yeah. were you in the film or were you the guy? No, like, you know, director. Basically, oh, wow, oh, yeah. Cool. Control freak director. Yeah, That's good. Me. Love it. <laughs> right. So I tied my sister up to a tree for this one movie, kidnap movie. We go into the house to watch the movie. I still remember afterwards. My mom's like, I like the movie, but where's your sister? I'm like, well, she's still tied to the tree. What's wrong? You know? So look, I, you know, Nick, I knew I was going to be a filmmaker one day until I got to high school. Uh, I think you call it secondary school. Right. So I get to high school and uh, I'm in my second year. Somebody comes up to me and they said, well, what are you going to do when you get out of high school? I said, well, I, I want to be a filmmaker. They're like, no, you don't want to do that because if you want to be a filmmaker, you're going to have to move out to Hollywood. And Hollywood is filled with weirdos. <laughs> they is looked that at true, me. though? Is it, I mean, oh, like, again, yeah, you know, it's true. do you have to be in Hollywood to be successful? I mean, is that, well, is that like. I mean, that's where the film business originates, right? That's where, I mean, there's yeah. New York, Toronto, Hollywood, and UK. I mean, that's where the big film places are. But, you know, they said, if you want to be a filmmaker, you have to move out there. And there's strange, weird people. You don't want to end up there. And I'm like, no, actually, I don't want to end up a weirdo. And I'm telling you right then and there, I gave up on my dream right there of no wanting way. to be a filmmaker because one person told me I would end up 
a weirdo. And of course, today I, I do live in Hollywood and my four kids would tell you their dad is a weirdo. So, so much for that. But, you know, even when I share that with you, it reminds me how often in life we allow other people to change the trajectory of what our goals are. So I gave up on filmmaking. My parents are like, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I'll go back to drawing. And I have incredibly supportive parents. They got an art teacher to come to my home. And every week she would teach me to draw from life, a private art teacher. And I remember she said to me, Saul, drawing is about seeing. You have to develop your eye to look at the world a certain way. We all think that artists are like, oh, can you copy something so it looks like a photo, so it looks real? A camera can do that. When I'm drawing or painting, I want to show it through my own lens. She taught me a great thing. And, and I used to, I was terrible at drawing hands. If anybody's an artist listening, you know, hands are very difficult to draw. So my teacher noticed that I was avoiding drawing hands. She said, all right, I want you to draw a hand from a different position every single night before you go to bed. And in six months, really? you'll get good at drawing hands. <laughs> and she taught me one of the greatest tools in life, which is very often we need to get out of our comfort zones to turn our weakness into our strength. What an amazing teacher she so just was. Repeat so I was, that again so I can hear that again. Yeah, it's just an important idea that we have to get out of our comfort zone. We often shy away from things that we don't do well. That's really what the idea is. Things mm. that we don't do well, we don't like to do them, especially publicly, because it gives us a feeling of doubt. I doubt myself. It reminds us of our weakness. We like to do the things we do well. Oh, I, you know, I can shoot the ball from this part, but I can't shoot. So I'm going to keep doing that, especially when there's people around so I can feel, get the feeling like I'm good at whatever it is I'm doing. And it's uncomfortable for us to do things we don't do well. You know, one of my favorite stories ever, Michael Jordan, it's a true story about him. He's in the NBA the first year. He's already Air Jordan, got the sneakers, making a gajillion dollars a game. A critic, a sports writer comes up to him after a game and says, Michael, you're a scoring machine, but you have no defensive game. And you know what Michael could have said to him? Dude, I'm Michael Jordan. Could you get out of my face? You're probably wearing my Air Jordan sneakers. Your kids probably have my Michael well, he's Jordan on my, He's on my wall behind. You can't see, right? He's, oh, one, of is the, he one, he's one of my little posters over there. Oh, there yeah, you go. And I, know, I, I know the back end of this story, but I'm not going to wreck the punchline. So keep going. Oh, yeah. You know, right? <laughs> so Michael, in his head, he hears one thing. Something I'm doing is giving that guy the perception that I don't have a defensive game. I guess I better work harder on defense. And he did. And next year in yep. the NBA, one, only one player was named defensive player of the year. Number 23, Michael Jordan. Because if we're going to be great in life, we need to find what it is that we don't do well and turn that into our strengths. That's the answer key to growing. And it was a great teacher that I had. I loved her. I loved her. So I was going to be an artist, Nick. That was it. Until I went to the movies again. <laughs> what was the second film? Okay, so I'm going to hum the theme. Let's okay. see how well you know oh, your God, stuff. Don't, Ready? Don't, I'm tone deaf. By the way, if my kids ever listen to this episode, I hope I don't embarrass uh, you, them. You can probably sing as well, Soul. So it's going to be like this well, amazing humming now, isn't it? No, 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 I think I can, <laughs> but my kids know that I can't. So they get embarrassed when I sing. So if they ever listen to this, please, because I didn't mean to embarrass you. But here, Daddy's going to try his falsetto. Here we go. You ready? Okay. Okay, that's the hard track. Let's try the easier one now. Yeah, it's ready? an easy one. Remember, I told you I'm terrible at this. Okay, here we go. <laughs> The seaweed is always greener in somebody else's lake. Come on. Oh, God. Nick, you know, half your audience is screaming at you right now. They're going, Nick, yeah, how know. do you not know? 
I want to be where the people are. I want to see, want to see them dancing. Oh, sorry. This is annoying me now. It was only the biggest animated movie. No, it's not Jaws, but you're close because it is under the sea. Uh, Little Mermaid. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah, listen. I I, kind of want to. I'm going to stop the show now. But you said Jaws because that's close. No, Jaws is actually my favorite film. It's actually my favorite movie of all time. That's for another podcast. We could talk about Jaws all day. We can, you know what? We could do like a movie podcast, right? That I would love cool. it. Yeah, I did know like, it, and I think yeah. it's I think it's Matilda's. Well, she's either in that, or actually, no, she's Moana these days. I think Moana's right, the, right. The, the, the hit. Yeah, show. but it but was, way, it was it was Little Mermaid. Okay, <clears throat> Little Mermaid. You've seen the movie, right? I've seen it multiple times. It's like okay, good. I've good. been on the okay. ride at Disney. I, you know, I, I, I'm just okay. I just, just, Maybe Disney trivia. Well. What's the what's the name of the crab in Little Mermaid? Let's see if you know anything don't, from the movie. Don't know. Really? Come on! If you've seen it, Sebastian, let's go. Doesn't mean when I actually like this, now we're going to get to a conversation about being present, right? Okay, I, I, fine. Whether I'm actually sitting there watching the show, <laughs> or whether I'm doing something on the phone. So look, so look, I see the movie and I I still remember the credits are rolling and I tap my mom again and I'm like, Mom, that's what I want to do someday. And she's like, What? You, you want to fall in love with a fish? <laughs> you know. And I'm like, no, mom, I want to be an animator at Disney because you see, Nick, Disney animation combined my two passions, my love of drawing, my love of filmmaking, put them together, animation. And plus, I found out that Disney had a studio in Orlando, Florida. Boom, there it is. Ah, I don't have to go so out to, to, go to Yeah, so you have to go yeah. to other weird So there places. I was, junior in high school, and I got my dream. I knew what my dream was. I had my goal. My dream was to become a Disney animator. I just had a big problem. I had no idea how to do it. You know, today you want to be a Disney animator. You go to a little thing called Google and you type in, how do you become a Disney? And you'll find out. Can we do a time but, check here? So, so what, yeah. approximately what time is this? Obviously it's after Little Mermaid. Well, this is, this is BI before internet. And as my kids will say, these are the olden days, right? Yes. So you're talking, you're talking 1990. All right. Oh, wow. Translation so thirty years. Paul, you are that old. <laughs> uh, no, I wasn't trying to get your age. I was just trying to think what I was doing back then. I was, I was in my last couple of years of school. I think back then, oh, high, high school. So there you go. So right. oh, there you go. So we're about the same age. Yeah. Okay. There. I like. I like this. So this is right? so Orlando. So watch this. So 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 there's no way to find out how to become a Disney animator. But I told you I had the most supportive parents in history. My mom took me to Disney World. Not my older brother. Not my sister. Took me on a trip to Disney World from New York. And is walking me around Disney World, asking all the Disney cast members, that's what they call their employees, right? How can her son become a Disney animator? It's actually very embarrassing. We're getting on the uh, It's a Small World boat ride. We're stepping oh. on the boat, <laughs> right? Oh, that, the, lady, that thing. The, the lady's like, how many in your party? I'm like, two. My mom goes, by the way, my son wants to be a Disney animator. Can you help? It was so embarrassing. And I still remember the lady going, well, ma'am, this is a boat ride. Like, we don't hire animators here. She said, but look, if you want your son to work at Disney, he's got to go to the Disney casting building. And it was four minutes away from where we were in Disney World. So we drive to this building. And can you imagine how beautiful a Disney office building looks like? This one was incredible. The doorknobs were themed to look like the ones from Alice in Wonderland, the ones that talk. They were made out of brass. I know you don't remember that movie. No, I'm more surprised. I'm more surprised that you're at (laughs) Disney World and you've managed to leave to go and do a bloody audition. I mean, again, some context. My wife has a, a has a business in Orlando. We're in Florida like like all yeah. the time. And we we've just come back actually. We've just been at the parks again. Go to the bloody parks. Oh, great. And yeah. the idea of being dragged off the park to go and do something like that. 
you know, oh. when you pay a fortune, that just doesn't happen. <laughs> oh, but it was a dream. And by the way, next time you're there, any of your listeners are there, just type in your navigator, Disney casting building, and just drive to the building. It's one, it's across the street from the Disney, uh, whatever Springs marketplace. It's across yeah, yeah, the street. Disney Springs. Oh, it's right cool. there. I got it. You got to see okay. this building. So I open the doors of this building and I walk in this atrium and there are gold statuettes of Mickey, Donald, Pluto, Goofy. Even the air was like, like it had that smell like Disney air, like pixie dust in the air. You know, I walk up a ramp to this meeting and to this office and painted on the ceiling is Peter Pan and Wendy flying off to Neverland. And I still remember that feeling of that's where I want to go. I want to go off to Neverland. So I sit in the interview and the woman says, how can I help him? Like, yeah, I want to be a Disney animator. What do I do? She goes, well, we don't hire those here. I'm like, well, who do you hire? She goes, well, we hire people that work the rides in the park. You know, people that make Dumbo go up and down. The yeah, and sell popcorn around. and those, those crazy turkey yeah. leg things. And I, I read those turkey legs, right? Those are so, <laughs> they smell so good, don't they? You smell them like blocks <laughs> away, right? Amazing. Yep, I know the ones. So, right? I, I'm so still, this so, story is amazing. So, you, okay, keep so going. So listen, so I sit there, right? And she goes, look, we don't hire those here. And I go, oh, it's not my dream to work the Dumbo ride and stuff. She goes, well, hold on a second. She walks out comes back in two minutes later and hands me a piece of paper. And that piece of paper became the most valuable piece of paper I ever held in my hands. It was a list of eight schools, eight art universities that Disney recruits their artists from. And she said, if you want to be a Disney animator, you need to go to one of these schools. Boom. That was it. And in my head, I heard an equation Saul plus go to one of these schools will equal dream of becoming a Disney animator. You know, you go to a restaurant, you taste an unbelievable dessert, creme brulee, tiramisu, whatever it is you like. You want to make that dessert at home? Well, you can do it if you have the recipe. So often I meet people and they're lucky enough to have the clarity of what they want to achieve, but they don't know how. But once you have the clarity of what your goal is, the next step is now you got to find out how to get it. And I had that answer in my hand. Did you so realize my, or appreciate at that oh, time? Yeah. That's what it was. It kind of hit you oh, like yeah. that. Oh, I couldn't believe it. And I'm telling you, even telling you the story right now, Nick, and I think about this all these years later, I remember, I mean, I get goosebumps right now. I remember the feeling of going from dreamer to doer. The feeling of going from, this is some dream in the sky of a dream I'd like to do. I mean, it's a dream. It was blurry. I, I knew I wanted to do it. I had no idea. When I held that paper, it was real. And I just saw it as just possible. This is possible. This is not only possible, it's probable. I'm going to do this. So my mom it's, takes it's, me. Sorry, it's yeah. super impressive also that the person at Disney helped you like that, right? Like, you know, because I, I, I can totally get yeah. that they're employing all the staff. There's like thousands of people employed in the parks, but that they knew that this yeah. is, you know, that, you know it's a good even point. that's quite interesting, isn't it? That think? is I mean, interesting. I never thought of that. You're right, because she could have just been like, we don't hire those here and sorry and go to the next interview. Yeah. But the fact that she got up and walked down and made that effort changed It says my a lot life. about culture and values. It says a lot about, you know, we go out of our way to help anybody who turns up here. Because like, let's be frank, yeah. not every day someone's going to turn up and say, I want to be an animator at Disney. They might turn up and say they, they want to work at the parks, but right. not that. Right. Right. So that's, yeah. So you're so a, right. I've never yeah. thought of that. I'm happy you highlighted that. I wish I knew the name. I would find her and thank her to this day. But you're right. I, I should have an appreciation for that. So she gives me that paper and I end up going to a school in Columbus, Ohio, the Columbus College of Art and Design. And I'm telling you, this is this is a fact. This is not my opinion. When I started at that school the first day, I was by far 
one of the worst artists in the school. You see, when I was in my hometown in New York, I was like the best artist in my school. I was better, better artist than my brother and my sister. No offense if they're listening. They know it, though. You know, but when I got to art school, this was like top gun. These are like the best artists. And I was intimidated. I mean, every single person was 100 times better than me. I felt intimidated. How do you like, judge that, by the way? Because, you know, again, I don't know the technicalities of your profession, right, to say whatever. But a yeah. lot of it's in the eye of the beholder to some extent. Or no, is there a technical no, ability here? No. That- oh, it's technical. Yeah. Right. No, I, don't, okay. I don't subscribe to eye of the beholder stuff when it comes to art. Look, art has the art makes people feel whatever they feel. And, I, and of course, there's a reality to that. Yeah. But there is a discipline that you have to understand as an artist, the structure and discipline of how to utilize design to manipulate someone to feel something. That's what art's about. It's not just whatever you feel like putting on the canvas. How do you do that? You have to understand color. You have to understand value. You have to understand shape and composition. You know, when you look at a billboard, you're driving down the street. How about this? You look at the Jaws movie poster. You brought up Jaws before. Everyone knows that poster. It's got that big shark head and this naked woman swimming there. Well, they make that poster for one reason, because they want you to pay money to go see that movie. So they have to make a decision. What are we going to put on the front of it? You know, comic books in the 40s with Superman, they wanted you to buy that comic. How'd they do it? They put Superman in a precarious situation on the front where you think he's not going to get out of it. Why? Because then you're like, holy man, how is he going to get out of it? I got to buy it to find out. And you want to watch Jaws because you want to see the woman get crunched. Well, you don't just want to see the woman get crunched. You want to see a naked woman, first oh, of yes. all. Sorry, we, we, we're talking the 70s. Cells. And like, yes, back then you could get right? away with a bit more risque posters. Right. And But you nailed it also. You want to see a woman die. Now, you would say to yourself, well, that sounds pretty gruesome. Why would I want to see that? It's the same reason when you're driving on the highway and you see an accident. Mm. What does everybody do? They look. What are they looking for? Same, well, they're same looking, thing. They're looking yeah. for a body, right? They're looking for a body, right? Because you know Why? The closer we come to death, the more we feel alive. It's a pleasure when we access our own idea of our own mortality because it makes us appreciate well, being alive. So you've thought about this. But yeah. And did you, did you, you look, have to think about this in terms of the art thing? Or this, it's come well, later. that's what it is. So when you look at a poster like Jaws or a billboard, they have a goal to get you to emotionally feel something yeah, you're, evo- you're evoking that emotion so so yeah. we, before you start something i mean this again this is i, I like going deep into some of these things because i just I think love it's it. fascinating right do it do it so yeah. so when you're going to create something be it an ad because i know you've done some amazing advertising stuff as well you've been involved in a whole range of movies which you know if you did the theme tunes i'd have no idea what they are but i know what they are written down here <laughs> Pocahontas, you know tarzan milan all that sort of thing when right. someone comes to you and says let's call it a brief or a conversation that starts the creative process. Yeah. Do they start with that? We want to get this feeling. We want someone to feel this. No. See, I start when I ask them the question, what do you want the audience to feel? It's my job as an artist to make sure that my clients goals are met. So I interview them. And by the way, as a filmmaker, when I'm making a Winnie the Pooh movie, or I work at DreamWorks on a show now, Madagascar, whatever episode, whatever film I'm working on, the first thing I need to ask myself as a storyteller is what is the message I'm trying to convey? By the way, it's the same thing for all of us, people that have podcasts, people that are in business. You have to tell your story. You have to let people know who you are. And if you can do that in a way that they're not just getting information, but they're getting something emotional, 
that's the magic. You know, you think about movies like Karate Kid. I don't know. It's one of my favorite movies. I still remember seeing it in the theater. You know, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But when Daniel does that kick at the end, you still get the goosebumps. And you know oh, why? Not because we're watching a movie about some kid who wants to be great at karate. Because if it was about that, it would only appeal to people that were learning karate. That's not what the movie's about. You see, Daniel needs to learn karate because that's the means to the end. And what's the end? Fitting in in high school. And if you don't fit in in high school, metaphorically, it's like you're dying inside. And guess what? We all know what it's like to not fit in. And when he does that kick, we're not watching a movie about Daniel. We're watching a movie about ourselves. If we can relate emotionally to a person, to art, that's the goal of it. So when I was in art school, I was learning design and all of these things. As a matter of fact, I remember, uh, just so you know, this is like this is the 90s, right? So this is before Pixar existed, before DreamWorks existed. A week into school, a Disney representative comes to our school. He's one of the original animators from Sleeping Beauty from the 50s. His name was Bill Matthews. He used to hang out with Walt Disney. The guy was like wow. 70 years old. <laughs> cool. And he's standing on a stage in this giant auditorium. As a matter of fact, it's the first time I saw the entire school in one room, 700 kids, whatever it is, 750 kids, every freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior packed in there. He stands up on stage and he says, before we begin, let me just ask, show of hands, how many of you want to be Disney animators? Every hand went up. And he said, just so you know, out of the 750 of you in this room, maybe, just maybe four of you will ever work there. That's how competitive it is. And when he said that, I thought one thing, I wonder who the other three are going to be. Because in did life, you really you think would, that? Did you oh, I did. that? Oh, I was confident. I was confident. Why were you so confident? Not, not arrogant. I was confident because I knew and I felt in my heart and in my soul of souls that nobody wanted it as much as I was wanting it. And nobody would work as hard as me. Nobody. I would outwork anybody. You know what it was? I'm just talking to you now, Nick, and I'm realizing, you know, when I watched that movie E.T. or any of those movies, like I grew up watching like Goonies. Yeah. You know, you know what Goonies is about? It's about this kid who saves his family. It's the kid that saves the adults. Why? Because he's a dreamer. You know, E.T., is about the kid. Elliot's the youngest, and not the youngest, but he's the middle child. He's the one that orders his older brother, drive the car and do this. Spielberg found a way, and Spielberg produced Goonies, by the way, to show that kids who are dreamers can become doers. And I think those ideas were nurtured into me also by my parents. I mean, my parents really made me feel like I could change the world, that I could do great things. So when I would find out things like this about how to get into Disney or or when I was in that room with that competition, I just knew that I, I believed in myself. And then he says, if you want to get into Disney, you got to get the internship. No internship, no Disney. And if you want the internship, he says, you need a portfolio, 25 pages filled with figure drawing and anatomy, all drawings of humans and animals from life. No cartoon characters, no Mickey Mouse, he said. I just want you to draw from life. So I would go to figure drawing class. And I met this guy, I'll never forget this. I met this guy, Andy, at a party. It was actually a, a party. And there was some girl in the corner drinking beer out of a funnel. You ever see that? 
Do you oh, remember I've seen that. days? I don't think okay, I ever did like, that. Yeah, well, you <laughs> but don't I know what you're talking about. You don't have to admit it, Nick, but we know. Come on. No, that's no, no, <laughs> not the strange thing. We, we do something else down there, but it, but I won't get into that different podcast. Okay, fine. Um, so this is like, how fast can you drink a beer, right? So yeah, I'm at this party. Chugging a beer or something like chugging that. Chugging a beer, right. And this guy, Andy, has a sketchbook, and he's doing drawings of this girl drinking a beer. And I said to him, what class is this for? He goes, it's not for a class. I'm like, so why are you drawing this drawing of her? He goes, because I want to get better. The guy nice. never stopped drawing. And he taught me this great discipline, which is you don't just draw when you're in class. If you want to become not just a good artist, but if you want to become literally the greatest figure drawing artist on planet Earth, then you never stop drawing. And he became my best friend. And let me just tell you, because I was friends with someone like this, it affected me because who we choose to be friends with actually affects who we become. Their values become my values. I remember walking through the dorm room and walking through the lobby and like kids were like smoking pot and watching the Simpsons and eating pizza. That's what you did in art school. There's my dog. Oh, okay. Don't worry, the kids, the kids are going crazy. It's, did, did, you, did your friend get in as well or not? Well, I can't give you that answer yet. You got to oh, wait for the story. Hold on a second. I told you us so Australians have no filter. We just, we just <laughs> so kind of like, come on. No, no, but I, I like you. I like you're on the edge of your seat, but I'll get you that answer in three minutes. I got to tell you one thing first. Do it. Do it. So Andy and I go drawing all the time. We play basketball. We draw the basketball players, whatever it takes. So, um, oh yeah. So sophomore year, I get my drawings together. I put them in a portfolio case. I sent them to Disney. I didn't expect to get in as a sophomore. I just wanted to go through the process. I send it in and I get a letter back in a month from Dis on Disney stationery. It says, Saul, thanks for sending in your portfolio, but unfortunately you didn't make it. All right. I got rejected. As a matter of fact, I, I didn't care because I was just happy the Disney company knew I was alive. I put an envelope that had my name printed on it from them with the Disney gold leaf Mickey on my wall. Another year goes by and me and Andy are drawing all the time. And I remember one day, I got to tell you this one day, this is, this is a monumental day. It was a freezing cold day. And I think you know about that kind of weather because of where you live, right? We do, Freezing yes. cold, right? Bitter cold day. And we go to the zoo, about 15 students. We take a bus to the zoo for a class to go draw animals. You know, when you're watching a movie like Lion King, how do you think Disney animators know how to draw animals? You don't just look at a blank piece of paper and know how to draw an elephant. You got to go draw them from life and spend hours and hours looking at anatomy books. So we go to the zoo, freezing day. I get into the zoo with all my friends and we go right into this Wendy's cafe because it was freezing. We just had to warm up. We get hot drinks. The boys are flirting with the girls. The girls are flirting with the boys. After about two minutes, Andy and I sharpen the pencils. We go outside and we find which animal we're going to draw. We get to this elephant. And sure enough, this elephant is just walking back and forth, repeating the same movement, which, which is incredible when you're studying movement and animation. You can't ask for anything more. So the elephant is walking and turns around, walks around, and Andy and I are just drawing, freezing, but drawing. Afterwards, we go into the bus, and I'm showing him what I drew, and he's showing me what he drew. I said to one of the other guys, hey, we never saw you guys at the elephants. What animals were you guys drawing? And the guy looks at me and goes, well, none of us ever left the Wendy's. I go, what do you mean you never left the Wendy's? He goes, well, we couldn't leave. I said, why couldn't you leave? He says, because it was too cold. Oh, okay. it was too cold. See, that was the moment where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to outwork everybody. You see, it's easy to dream. It's easy to talk about the goals we have, but it's not easy to persevere through the pain. And when we have the expectations that something's going to be painful, it can motivate us and energize us 
to scale up, <laughs> to accomplish, to grow. And let me tell you, anyone listening, if there's a documentary that you watch on Michael Jordan, look, I watched Michael Jordan, The Last Dance documentary three times already. I'm obsessed, right? But whatever documentary you like about whoever you like that's done anything great, I guarantee the common denominator is they all push through pain. If you look at a marriage, you have friends that you think have a perfect marriage. You know what makes their marriage perfect? They push through pain. What does it mean? They put the work in. My son says to me all the time, I have a 13-year-old son, he's like, dad, I'm going to try this thing. Do you think it's going to be easy? And I say to him, oh, the same thing. If you want to be great at it, it's not going to be easy. Anything you want to be great at is going to be difficult. And at that moment, Nick, I knew I was going to get in. So Andy and I take our portfolios. Hold on, dog. That's all right. Dog's good. Boom. Everybody fine, man. Don't worry. <clears throat> so here yeah. we go. Now, now I'm going to bring your question in. Ready? So Andy and I get our portfolios. We send them into Disney and we wait. A couple weeks go by. I get a call and it's Andy on the phone. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? I was home in New York, actually, visiting my parents like midway through the year. He's like, dude, I just got a call from Disney. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, I got it. I said, you got what? He goes, I got the oh. internship. I'm like, that's amazing. Congratulations. He's like, but you didn't hear it yet, did you? I'm like, no, but they could be trying to call me right now. We didn't have call waiting. So I had to hang up the phone. I'm pacing in the dining room back and forth. My mom comes in. My dad, like, what happened? I'm like, mom, Andy got in. And we're waiting for the phone to ring. And the phone doesn't ring. And I'm freaking out. So you know what I did, Nick? I picked up the phone and I dialed ahead of Disney myself. Well, who does that? Well, I did. Because when there's something you want in your life, you will do anything to get it. You know, when I was uh, 12 years old, I was in New York because I lived there. And at the New York Knicks, Madison Square Garden, I'm watching them right before they play number 23, Michael Jordan. I'm standing next to the court. Jordan is standing in the middle of the court. He's got those breakaway sweatpants with the buttons. He's dribbling the ball, chewing his gum. He had that focus, that game face. I will never forget. He's standing in the middle of the court before the game. And I said to my older brother, I was like 12 at the time. My older brother, I said, Jay, I'm going to go walk out there and meet Michael Jordan. My brother's like, you're not going anywhere. Before he could finish that sentence, I walk out to the middle of the court. I look up to number 23 and I said, hi, Mr. Jordan. And he looks down at me and says, quote, yo, how you doing? End quote. <laughs> inspiring words. And then he, he shook my hand, you know, with the sweat from number 23. I still never washed this. Hand, I was going to say, you did know? you wash the hand? I've got, I've, got my, I've, I've, I've got basketball memorabilia everywhere here. When I, I won't bore you with it. Um, no, but so, you know, so why did I walk out on that court? Because when there's something you want in your life, you get out of your comfort zone and you do whatever it takes. So I called ahead of Disney. I go, hi, my name is Saul Blinkoff. I want to find out about the internship. He goes, oh, yes, Saul, I have your name on a list here. I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah, you didn't make it. I said, what? He goes, yeah, I'm sorry, you, you, you're rejected. I'm, I apologize, you're rejected. I go, well, what about Andy? He goes, yeah, he made it, you didn't. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that was a bittersweet moment. You know, sweet, I was happy for my best friend. But bitter, my dream was shattered. Andy's going to Disney World. Nick, you know what they call Disney World? The happiest place on Earth. Earth. Right? I mean, just think about that for a second. Everybody wants to be happy. Oh, we're, we're there but, three or four times a year, mate. So don't trust right? me. I, I'm, I'm imprinted. And we're going but back what, again. <laughs> but think about it for a second. What Disney's telling the world is wherever you were living, you can be happy, but you can't be happiest. You're living in Hawaii. It's cute, but it's not Disney World, right? Disney is the happiest place on earth. And Andy's going to sunny, beautiful Disney, happy place. I'm going back to Ohio in the wintertime, what I thought was the most depressing place on earth. 
And when I walk the halls of the school, everyone's coming up to me, Nick, and they're like, Blinkoff, what are you doing here? They're like, oh, you didn't make it. Oh, I'm sorry. Where's Andy? Oh, he got in. You did. I became known as the guy that was friends with the guy that got into Disney. I became known as the guy who didn't get what he really, really wanted. And then I took the feeling of being a failure away. And for anyone listening right now, if mm-hmm. you ever have something in your life that you fail at and you don't like that feeling of looking in the mirror and seeing yourself as a failure, you do what I did. And that feeling goes away in a second. You know what I did? I gave up. I gave up on the entire dream. The confidence wow. gone. Okay. You didn't see that coming, did you? Mr. No, confident I didn't. I Mr. Mr. Pain and grits and discipline no, and, I gave and up. all that. I mean, this is we're talking about surrendering now to some extent. I surrendered. I did. I did. Because, you know, reality set in. Reality was Andy was an awesome artist and I was just average. You know, every one of us has what I call the shoulder angel and the shoulder devil. We put those mm-hmm. characters in a movie. I directed Kronk's New Groove. We actually had the angel and devil. We've seen that before, that trope. And the shoulder angel tells us, you can accomplish, you can be great, you can change the world, you can have a great marriage, you can be a great dad, a great mom, you can have great kids, you can have a taste of the pleasures of life. But there's that shoulder devil that speaks into our ear, often quite louder, saying, who do you think you are? You're just you. You're just average. Greatness, that's for Michael. That's for Steve Jobs. That's for that's not for guys like you. That's not for girls like you. You're average. And I gave up. I gave See, up. I don't, I, don't believe, I don't believe you, right? So, so I really a, we, a, we know the anger. But in terms of give up, right, let's just define that for a second. Yeah. You didn't give up on your dream, though, did you? Oh, I did. Well, you actually, you. you actually said at that point, so you, for years, you've been saying that I'm going to be an animator at Disney. I know. I know. I gave yeah, up, yeah. I, I get the idea that you might've given up on the strategy, right? That no. it's not going to be an internship, which was my immediate goal. And I'm going to find another you way. Know, let me, let me tell you why I'm, I'm as, as you, as we're talking about this, I'm, I'm thinking about it. It's first of all, when you're going for a dream, it's not just, did you ever see that movie whiplash? Oh, I, I don't know. The drummer movie? No, or I haven't. Any, no, I haven't. Or, 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 you know, whatever movie, when you're going for a dream and you're 100% committed with all of your energy to accomplishing one goal, and that energy is twofold. It's the physicality. So yep. for me, it's the constant drawing, the constant drawing, but it's also, it's the emotions, the emotions, every moment thinking about it. I wasn't thinking about Disney some of the time. It was all the time. I remember just consumed ton, tons of emotion every moment, every night I went to bed. When I put my head on the pillow, it was like, tomorrow's the day. I'm going to work hard. It was Disney. So when I didn't get in and Andy got in on his first time, it was my second time trying. I just, you know, I just listened to that, that voice telling me like, you know, just because you want it doesn't mean. And by the way, he was leagues better than me as an artist. I, I wasn't good. I just wasn't good. So I give up on the dream. And a week later, a buddy calls me up and says, Saul, I got tickets to go see a movie. You want to go? And I'm like, nah, I'm not in the mood. He goes, but they're free. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go. So <laughs> I go to the movies again. And movie number three, boom, changes the rest of my life. And it's amazing sometimes. It's amazing how your life has changed from movies here. But then right. again, it's, it's not. That's really. what you I do. Think about it. <laughs> right. But, you know, but sometimes we all, we see movies that speak to us for what we're going through at a certain time in our life. Or you hear music, a song. Music and movies. Exactly. Right. Music. Right. So I see this movie. Okay. I'll see if you know what movie this is. This movie is a true story about a guy who's five feet tall. 
He doesn't have an ounce of athletic ability, and he wants to play football at Notre Dame. What movie? Rudy. Boom. You got Great it. Great film and the underdog who, like, no chance. No chance of playing no on, on, on that. Yeah, And I suppose I'm not a massive um, uh, historian of American football or college football. I know Notre Dame back in the day, maybe even to this day, is like a football school, right? Like it's, Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, it's the one of the top, top school programs, uni programs for football. Uh, in the world. It's incredible. And by the way, this is a true story. And if you were friends with Rudy Rudiger, this real guy, and he told you as his friend, his dream was to play football at Notre Dame. You know what you would have told him as his dear friend, dude, I love you. Get a new dream. Yeah. You're, delusional, you're, you're short. You're, you're <laughs> right. You're so delusional. And Rudy says, oh yeah, well, we'll just see about that. And he tries to get into Notre Dame rejected, tries a second year rejected third time rejected but fourth time you know if you look at the movie poster for the movie rudy it says on the poster when people tell you dreams don't come true tell them about rudy he gets in and tears are streaming down my face crying in that movie and i'm thinking one thing i have goosebumps right now just telling you i remember thinking if an unathletic kid like that could get into notre dame with an insane amount of hard work then what I thought was an untalented artist like me will get into Disney with an insane amount of hard work. And I vowed to never give up again. As a matter of fact, I called up the head of Disney the next day. I get the same guy on the phone. I'm like, hi, my name is Saul. Like, oh, I already told you to me. I'm like, yeah, I know. But let me ask you a question. How close was I to getting in? Where was I? He goes, well, we picked 17 from 3,800 portfolios around the world. And you made it to number 20. What? I'd only missed it by three. Three. You know how many times in our and lives? And you said there was eight schools. So like we're talking about like, you know. Oh, but all take- over the world. But portfolios oh, wow. all over the world. Oh, you're, you're up, you name it. Those are, yeah, that was just, those are just the so schools that had the best off. programs. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. And how many so times in our lives? So you weren't that bad after all, right? So- I guess, right. <laughs> <laughs> but how many times in our lives do we feel that we're miles or kilometers away yeah. from what we're trying to accomplish? And all we needed to do was just push a little bit more. And then I asked him, the million dollar question. Sorry, the million pound question. What I asked him? I said to him, why didn't I get in? What was missing from my work? Because in life, the one thing we will all have in common is we will all fail at everything that we try. Not everything, but many things we try. We're going to fail in life. And when we fail in that moment, we got to find out why, because that's the answer key to growing. I asked him, why didn't you accept me? He actually told me, I remember, he's like, no one ever asked me that before. I'm like, hey, man, trying to make history here. He said, you need more dynamic perspective in your work. Can I be honest? I'm like, yeah, please. He goes, you need to, instead of drawing the model from where your eyes are, stand on a stool and look down or go down low and look up. Give us something dynamic. I was like, boom, answer key. I go. I start working on my drawings more and more. And uh, I went to one of my uh, teachers, my professors, incredible professor, Mr. Tolstead was his name. And I remember I said to him, Mr. Tolson, do you have any advice for me? He said something so profound. He said, Saul, can you control whether Disney says yes or no? I said, no. He says, can you control how good the competition is? How good the other artists are? I said, no. He says, so what is it that you can control? I said, well, I can control how good I am as an artist. That's it. He goes, no, you can't. You think Michael Jordan could control that he become the best basketball player that ever lived? No, he controlled one thing. He took 10,000 jump shots every day before breakfast. My professor looked at me and said, the only thing that we can control in our lives is the investment we make, how hard we work. 
The outcome is never up to us. And he said, write this down. I took out a piece of paper. He goes, write down this phrase. And if you can't say this and it's true, you don't go to bed at night. Nobody worked harder today than me. I wrote it down. Nobody worked harder today than me. And if you can't say that and it's real, you don't sleep. I put it up over my desk. A Nick drawing machine nonstop. Well, now I get the drawings together. Get ready for this, Nick. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you are you with I mean, me? I mean, I'm I'm here, mate. I'm I'm so, I'm so check I'm this presence and all this stuff. I get my drawings together. I'm about to send them into Disney, but the school makes an announcement. You're not allowed to send your portfolio to Disney anymore. Everything's changed. Why? Beauty and the Beast came out, was nominated for Best Picture Oscar. It lost to Silence of the Lambs. Okay, very different movie. Very different. The movie comes out and Disney's getting flooded with thousands and thousands of portfolios around the world because now all these artists are like, hey, I want to be an animator because they made all these behind the scenes specials on how Beauty and the Beast was made. And it's on like telly everywhere, right? So now they're flooded. Now they have a new system. They're going to send a Disney representative from Disney to your school. They'll look at your work. And if they like your portfolio, then they'll send it to Florida Studio for final review. So there's a so vetting process guy, that's come in. So you can't process. even send it through. They're going to like take whatever it is, 20,000 of these things and get them down to whatever. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that built the stakes. So that, that down the competition is really steep, right? So what happens? Who comes to our school? That same old guy, Bill Matthews, the one from Was, he, was he selecting? Was he one of the guys who made He the was one of the selecting. Oh, yeah. He, he There's like a whole team of artists that do it. Yeah. Uh, eventually. Yeah. There's a whole team that did it, but he's the one that's like the first. You got to get through his gate. Right. He's the gatekeeper. So I go into this meeting with him one on one in this room. It was alphabetical. My last name was a B. I was first. By the way, there was a newspaper photographer for the local newspaper that took a picture at that moment. I'll send it to you. You can throw it up on Instagram and show your your I'll friends. Do it. Do, your it, do it. do it. Do it. This You'll is cool. see me with Keep the going. big glasses with Bill. But watch this. He takes my portfolio, opens it up and he goes. Saul, my boy. That's how he talked. He's the coolest voice. He's like, Saul, my boy. I like these drawings. I'd like to send your portfolio to Florida for further review. Would you like that? I'm like, would I like that? Yes. <laughs> yes. Did you that's... tell him the full story at this point? <laughs> you know who I am? Yes, I would like that. What do you think? I know who I am. Man? In fact, they've told me, they've told the switchboard to never answer the phone. <laughs> phone when Saul calls, when that phone number comes. <laughs> so I go, yeah, I'd like that. I hand him the portfolio. And as I hand it to him, I don't let go. I'm clutched on it. And so okay. is he. And I'm in a tug of war. This is oh. a true story. I'm in a tug of war with a 70-year-old man. He's like, Saul, my boy, what are you doing? I yanked the portfolio out of his hands. And I asked him this question. I go, Bill, when do you actually need the portfolio in Florida? He's like, because I'm going to this school first. He goes, I'm going to all these other schools. So I don't need it in Florida for two more weeks. Why? I said, because any drawing I do tomorrow has to be better than every single drawing that's in this portfolio. And if I had two more weeks, I could do better work. He goes, no problem. Here's the address. Send it to me in two weeks. Now, you got to take a step back for a minute. Everything he said in that meeting was exactly what I wanted him to say. I like your work. I want to send it to Florida. He gave me the A+. Plus. But inside my mind, I was, I, I was aware that I wasn't perfect. There's always room to grow. And I was so focused every day and disciplined on my skill that I knew that another week or two, I didn't want to let it go. I could do better work. So I'm about to walk out. And as I walk out, I think in my head, wait a minute, this guy sees artists from all over the world. I should ask him, what should I work on? I know I'm not perfect. You know, when we fail in life, of course you ask them, why did I fail? But even when you succeed, 
even in those moments, find out what you can do to improve. I guarantee, look, you have Steve Jobs behind you right now. I see him over there. I got many Steve Jobs things going on here. I got Steve Jobs all over the place here. I'm a big fan. And I guarantee when Steve Jobs finished creating what I think is one of the greatest pieces of technology in history, boom, iPhone, I guarantee he brought everyone around him in his conference room and said, congratulations, pour the champagne. Now tell me tomorrow how we're going to make it better. Even when we succeed in life and people around us tell us we got an A plus, we got a promotion, we're doing great. We need to dig deeper and say, how do I grow past that? How do I push myself? How do I set my own bar for my own growth? So I'm walking out and I said, Bill, what else should I work on in my portfolio? He goes, well, if you wanted to add something to your portfolio, why don't you draw effects? I'm like, what's that? So when you guys watch a Disney movie and it's rain, fire, water, smoke, that's a division of animators called effects animators. Like, why don't you put some of that in your drawing? I'm like, great. Answer key. I go back to my dorm room. I set up a pot with water, the faucet. I'm watching the drips and the ripples. And I did drawings and drawings. I set up a candle. I lit the candle and I watched how that flame danced on that wick. And I did drawings of that. And then I did what some would say is the unthinkable. Get ready, Nick. Are you ready? I'm ready. I took ready. the entire portfolio. No. All of it. No. I put it under my bed and I said, you know what? It doesn't exist. And you did a Can whole I new, actually you did create a new portfolio? A new portfolio? Exactly. There a is a distinction new- here, though. There is a distinction, right? So, because a similar thing happened to me a number of years back when I had a shot. Right. I had a shot at a job which was going to change the trajectory of my career. And it did actually. And I got the job. I won't go through the full bit because this is your show, right? <laughs> your interview. It's ours. It's ours. But Come let on. me just let me just say I want to hear. What happened is I I had a conversation at about 4 p.m. on this particular day. And the person said, listen, you know, you, you have no experience here. You know, there's a lot of people trying to get this particular job. But if you can send me through a plan of what you would do if you got this job before tomorrow, so by you know 9, 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, you might have a shot, right? So what did I do, right? I did what you did and what you're about to say, right, is I, I worked my ass off for the space of a few hours yeah. and I did something like a 60-page, the most amazing presentation you've ever seen in your life. Wow. And 11 o'clock, I, I submitted it. And by then you couldn't really email. So I had to drop it off at the mail room of this place. Right. I did that eight in the morning, 11 o'clock. I got the job, no interview. Boom. And the distinction I want to say is this, is that, you know, and again, you may, may not have correlated like this, but when you had the opportunity, you were told that your portfolio was going to go to Florida and then you had an additional two weeks. I imagine the momentum behind that, the inspiration to, to go like, you know, I'm now going to make this, I'm not going to leave this to chance. Yeah. Yeah, that must still have, have something somewhere. in my. I still have something that's in my control to make this better. Make it better, yeah. Even if it's one more drawing, dude. One more drawing. <laughs> so then, when I put the portfolio <laughs> under my bed, I said it doesn't exist. Can I create a whole new portfolio in two weeks? And let me tell you why I did that. Here's what I did not want to happen. I didn't want Bill Matthews to get the portfolio in Florida in two weeks and go, oh, Saul, nice guy from Ohio. I remember him. Oh, I remember that drawing. I remember that. Oh, look, he did the effects. That's not what I wanted to happen because that's what he was expecting to happen. You know what? Everyone listening to this podcast, you can forget everything I've said in the last 35 minutes. No problem. Walk away with these next two words and it will change the rest of your life in all aspects of life. Here's the two words. Exceed expectations.
You live those words. Don't just know them, but live them. It will change your life. You know what it means? It means if the meeting starts at nine, you get there at 8.50. It means if they're expecting 10 problems solved, you do 12. It means when my wife sends me to go to the supermarket to pick up fresh fruit, whatever she needs for cooking soup, butternut squash, whatever, I don't just walk in with the fruit that she asked for. I also went and picked up the dry cleaning that she didn't ask for because I knew that's something that was on her inbox. So I come in and I show her the dry cleaning. You know what I just did? Exceed expectations. It shows a person not what you do, but who you are. I wanted Bill Matthews to open that portfolio and go, oh, he did all new drawings. Now he's not judging the work. Now he knows about the person. Now he knows about the character. Exactly. And I did that and I sent it in. And then a month or two later, I get a call and it's Andy on the phone. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? He goes, blink off. You're not going to believe this. I'm like, what am I not going to believe? He goes, they built a brand new wing on the animation studio for the next interns. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, you deserve to be in there. I'm like, thanks, man. He goes, they also built a basketball court for animators and you love playing basketball. You deserve to play there. I'm like, thanks, man. He goes, but there is one more thing. I said, what? He goes, they put up a list of the next interns. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, you're on the list. I'm like, what? He goes, dude, you did it. I'm like, thank you. He's like, what do you think? So you heard it from him first. That's cool. I heard it from him first. I go over to my tape player. Those of you under the age of 20 don't know what tapes are. They play music. Okay. And at the top of my lungs, it's the circle of life. I knew you could sing. I knew you could sing. There we go. You had to to weave that in there, right? I did it. I did it. And, you know, I ended up um, calling my parents. They were so proud of me. I went to Disney. uh, I said to my mom, you can stay in New York this winter because I'm going to the happiest place on earth. And uh, they picked me up at the airport with one of those people with a sign with my name. It actually had Mickey Mouse pointing to my name. They drive me to the Walt Disney Studios. I walk under a sign that says artist's entrance. I took a picture at that moment and I walk into this room, animation desks everywhere. This is before computer animation. It's all hand drawn. And in the corner is this big, beautiful wooden desk with the name Saul Blinkoff on it. And I want all of your listeners to hear one very important thing. Do not think that you heard the story today of a person who worked really hard, who uh, was really, really talented and achieved his dream. You did not hear the story of a person that was really talented who achieved his dream. You heard the story of a person who was the worst artist in his school, who got rejected and rejected, but who ultimately tried to grow and become the best version of himself. And I'm telling you, everyone out there, if I could achieve what I did, you can achieve a hundred times more. You see, nobody wakes up great at anything. Nobody wakes up great at anything. So you have to ask yourself, what am I waiting for? What are you waiting for? We can change the world. Forget that shoulder devil. We have the angel. We can do it. We can grow in our marriage. We can be better parents. We can have the career of our dreams. We can live a life of awesome. Nothing's in our way but us. And that's what really started it, Nick. So I asked you one question, and that was it. (laughs) Oh, how did I get started? Yeah, and and we we, we got the masterclass in, in showing up inspiration, right? One of the things I say at the end of my, my shows, I I do an episode where I just do my own, my own sort of chatting away, rambling. And I say, you know, it's a mantra of mine. It's, you know, um, basically, you know, be grateful, be brave, have faith and show up. Right. And each of those things is a, an important point in its own right. But I finish with 
show up because how you show up, how you do anything, how you do everything. Right. I love it. And what you've just, what you've just done just to summarize the conversation is you've just shown many, many examples of adversity, things not working out, but, you know, getting back up again, setting a higher standard. And as you said, you know, basically exceeding expectations and maybe exceeding what people even thought you were capable of. Yeah. So amazing stuff. Beautifully said. Yeah. You, you nailed it. You know, I also say just looking back at the story, you know, you, you, you hear the story and you're like, Oh, this is the Disney guy. And he worked hard and he got his dream, but I just want everyone to know. And, and something I remind myself is I don't equate success in life by what it is we accomplish. I don't equate that as being actual success in life. What I do equate success with is what is, is what am I trying to accomplish? What is my goal? Because at the end of the day, if I just sit at a desk and I'm drawing Mickey Mouse all day and it makes me happy, how does that really affect the world? Okay, yeah, these drawings go out to the world. The movies can change people. And I work on shows that have the values that I want kids, my kids and the kids of the world to watch. And, and I get behind that work. But the, the impetus for it, the, the, the prerequisite, I think, for whatever it is we choose to do with our lives can't just be I'm doing this because I want to make myself happy. See, I don't think the goal of life is happy. I think if you ask people what 99% of the world would tell you, the goal of life is I want to do this to be happy. Oh, he's an artist. He wants to draw because that's what makes him happy. See, at the end of the day, what makes us happy may not always be what's good for us, may not be what's good for other people. I think there's something sweeter than going for a life of happiness, and that's a life of meaning. You see, a meaningful life isn't based on what it is I accomplish. It's based on what am I trying to do? Do I wake up every day with a mindset and a clarity that I want to get from the world? Or is it something that I want to give to the world? You know, Winston Churchill, one of your heroes and my heroes, had the most incredible quote. He said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And I challenge myself every day to look at my abilities or talent or discipline, whatever word you like, and to use it to make an impact. How do I take what it is I love to do and serve humanity as opposed to just this is what makes me happy? Because I think that when we do that, it's like the movie Lion King. You know, we're talking Disney here. Simba thinks being a king is he can do whatever he wants. He wants to live in Hakuna Matata world. You remember that movie, right? I do remember that one. I, yep. Hakuna, yeah. sing with me. Hakuna Matata. No, no you don't have. No. No, we're not going there. This we're is, this is the one thing. I, 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 you know, get me in a karaoke bar. It's not my, my happy place. But <laughs> so he goes off. To Hakuna Matata world, which means no responsibilities. Nala shows up at the end of the movie. He's like, Simba, Scar's taking over everything. If you don't come back, everyone's going to die. He's like, no, 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 Hakuna Matata, I'm staying here. She's like, when are you going to grow up? She leaves him. He sits there, looks at his father's reflection. Remember who you are. Remember what a king really is. You know what a king really is? It doesn't mean you can go live in the Garden of Eden with waterfalls and it's beautiful and just live a life of comfort. You are responsible for the world. He goes back and it becomes the biggest animated movie of all time. BF before Frozen. (laughs) Not because we like movies about lions, but because that movie gives us a taste of what's really great. You know what greatness is? Waking up every day with the sole purpose of taking responsibility for the world. How do I take that? I use my ability to respond. Responsibility is the ability to respond. And every one of us has to challenge ourselves. How do I use what makes me unique to change the world? Because all of us are unique 
We have a unique purpose. That's what we have to tap into. That's how, and ultimately, we scale up, right? Isn't that how we do it? <laughs> well, the way we scale up is we ask a bigger question of ourselves, right? And That's right. that comes back to, as you said, and I think you know you explained it very, very well. It's the fact that the growth that we we experience doesn't ever stop. And where we probably feel the most fulfillment is when we're making a difference that's beyond ourselves, right? Beautiful. So that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's I've got it. two questions for you. Two let's final go. questions. Let's do right, it. So, I'm, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sort of in trepidation of asking another question because I know where it's going to go. No. What's next for Soul Blinkoff? Well, look, you know, right now, this part of my life, I'm just finishing producing the show at DreamWorks, Madagascar, a little wild. It's a preschool show. Oh, cool. It has great values. It's a musical, high production value. We actually won Best New Series last year for Kids Screen out of all the children's content out there, which is an incredible uh, accomplishment for my team. I'm so grateful for that. Um, but there's really two other sides to me. One is the podcast. Yep. Um, as you mentioned earlier, I have a podcast called Life of Awesome. And it's a podcast where it's either me sharing or I have great interviews with some amazing people. It's uh, it's how do we turn our lives from good to great to awesome? Actually, the very first guest I ever had on my podcast is the real Rudy Rudiger, the one from the football movie. And it was so exciting for me to share with him the impact his story made in my life. So I've had some incredible people on there. So I urge your, your listeners, check out the podcast, Life of Awesome. And then the other thing that I'm really focused on now is, is, is speaking around the world. You know, I traveled the world. I've been to the UK many times. I've spoken at Bristol and Leeds and Nottingham and universities there. But I, I traveled the world speaking for corporate keynotes and communities and just trying to share those messages that empower people to live their, you know, unlimited potential. That's really where my, my focus is right now. So it's the DreamWorks, the podcast. And then, of course, the speaking. So, uh, right. and I, again, I really appreciate you, you having me on. But more questions. You got more from me. You said you had another one. I'm ready. No, well, no, you've covered most of it. I was going to say, check out the podcast. I was having listened to uh, the George Foreman uh, interview. Oh, that episode. <laughs> that Only episode. because I like his grill. I mean, you know, forget the boxing for a second. You know, he transformed the way we eat lean meat. So that was cool, right? You know what's amazing about that episode, Nick? You know, I go through the, you know, when I do, when I interview somebody on my podcast, like I do a lot of research who they are. And, you know, so I knew about him. I knew he made $138 million his first year on the grill. I knew he was a two-time heavyweight champion, gold medal, Olympian, TV star. I mean, everything. I go through this whole list of what he's accomplished. And I say at the very end of the list, oh, and he's a father, grandfather, great-grandfather. The first things out of his mouth, two things he says, blows me away blows me away, literally pulls the rug out from under me for the entire interview. I'm still inspired by these words. The first thing out of his mouth is, Saul, I feel like I haven't done anything yet. The best is yet to come. The guy's over 70 years old. Let me tell you, somebody brings me on my on their podcast. Nick, you brought me on your podcast. You're like, Saul, you did Mulan. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I worked hard. Thank you. Look at all the things I did. I tapped myself on the back, right? George Foreman, has done a gajillion more things than I've ever dreamed of doing. And the first thing out of his mouth over 70 years old is, I feel like I haven't done anything. The best is yet to come. If we could approach life with that lens, that perspective, holy cow, what could we accomplish? The second thing out of his mouth is, out of the whole list, you know what I'm most proud of, he says? Great-grandfather. His legacy as a great-grandfather, that's what brings him the most pride. As a matter of fact, at the very end of the episode, I asked him, George, what's your legacy? 
What's the legacy you want the world to remember about you? You want your kids to remember about you. You saw without blinking an eye. That's one thing. I want people to know how much I loved human beings. I loved See, humanity. That's cool. That I love to walk down the street and smile at someone and make a difference in their day. See, to me, that's how you scale up. To me, that's living a life of awesome. Check out that episode with George Foreman. It is a really good one. It's not what you expect. And the title doesn't it's give not. it to justice. Last question right. for you. Last question for you. Of okay. And, you, and I'm going to try and keep this as simple. You've given a lot of messages today, valuable insights, right? To people. There's a lot there, right? So I, I, I'm going to say to people, listen back again and take some notes because there's some good stuff. The way, particularly the way you contextualize your experiences back into points that could help people. If there is one thing, one. <laughs> I'm going to allow you to do one. Okay. You want to leave my audience with today. Yeah. You know, to help them, to, to get them to think about it. Out of all the different insights, all the things that, you know, you've gone through that you yeah. think can make an impact for them. What is it? Okay. I, I, I got it, but I got to give you a three minute story to get into it. That's okay. We're good. It's, it, it's, it's really powerful. You know, when I was in college, the greatest animator who ever lived is a guy that you've never heard of. His name is Glenn Keane. You may never have heard of his name, but you know his characters. He animated and designed Ariel. That's the Little Mermaid. Name, yeah, yeah. Right? Remember? <laughs> Aladdin, the Beast, Aladdin, Tarzan, Pocahontas. These are just some of his characters. Wow. I mean, he's, he's the Michael Jordan of animators. And I remember hearing that Glenn Keane used a certain pencil. And I thought if I could get the pencil that Glenn Keane uses, I could draw like Glenn Keane. Right. So I find out the company that makes this pencil, the Tomboy 50, whatever it was. I call the company up and I say to them, I'd like to buy some of those pencils, the Tomboy, whatever. They go, no, you don't have it. You can't. I'm like, why? They go, we don't have any more. I said, so when are you getting more in? They're like, no, you don't understand. It's been discontinued. We stopped making them. They're like, you should have called yesterday. We sold our last 12 cases <laughs> to one guy. I go, his name wasn't Glenn Keene. Was it? They're like, how'd you know? So I couldn't get the pencil. Four years later, I'm at Disney working on my first movie, Pocahontas, and I get called into the office of Glenn Keene. And I get called in there. I walk in there. He takes a piece of paper and he starts teaching me how to draw Pocahontas. And this is like Michael Jordan. And as he's drawing, I don't hear a word he's saying, and I'm staring at the pencil. And he could tell I'm distracted. He's like, what? I'm like, is that the pencil? He's like, yeah, that's the pencil. And to me, it was like, you know, Michelangelo's paintbrush, right? Because if somebody does something extraordinary, then the tools that they use to accomplish it become extraordinary. And I'm like, can I hold these? Like, yes, I'm holding the pencil. It's got the teeth marks. And I'm like, wow. He takes the pencil out of my hands. It's a true story. He puts it down and he says, Saul, it is not the pencil that makes the animator. He said when he started at Disney, the Disney nine old men, the guys that animated Bambi, Fantasia from the 40s, Pinocchio, he says they taught me two words. And those are the two words that he wrote on his desk and he pointed to them on his desk. He said, those are the two words you want to walk away with. That's the two words I want to share with you and your audience, Nick. Those two words were be sincere. Be sincere. You know what it means? It means if you don't feel it, they won't feel it. Whatever it is we're doing in our lives, we have to make it real. It's one thing to know something. It's another thing to live it. You know, before people will ever care how much we know, they want to know how much we care. We have to make it real. If you feel it, they'll feel it. And put that into everything in life, our relationships, our, our careers, live a life of sincerity. Soul Blinkoff, it it's a pleasure, my friend. 
<laughs> Thank you. What a cool, what a, oh, I, you know, I, I now need to uh, get better at singing. So let me, let me put that. I need to learn a few kind of, you know, brush up on movie. your Disney trivia a little I, bit. I, I'm not going to let my girls listen to this. They're 10 and seven. They're going to be dad, man. That's like, dad, Jaws. did you really say Jaws? Did that happen? Yeah. Um, <laughs> where can people reach out to you? So I know we will obviously the podcast life of awesome, have a listen, some really, really cool stuff on that. Great. Thank guests. you. But where can people reach you? Yeah, please. Well, first of all, go to my website, which is saulblinkoff.com. From there, it's a portal to everything. First of all, you can sign up to the email list and get a taste of awesome delivered in your email. So that's saul, S-A-U-L, blinkoff.com. You can also check me out on Instagram, saulblinkoff there. Just click on the little yellow face there. And, uh, you know, I throw things up every couple of days and ideas and wisdom from people that I meet and talk to in life. And you'll see my kids out there and my puppy and my wife. And just trying to grow and live a life of awesome. So yeah, please check me out. And and Nick, I, I really cannot thank you enough. You're you're just a warm, sincere. You're very sincere, and uh, you're just a great interviewer. And um, I'm just I love the idea. I, I love the experience that I had to be able to connect with you, and keep up all the great work you're doing. You're making such a huge impact. And uh, someday, if you ever come to LA, I want to hug in person or I'll come oh, out to you. Oh, perfect. UK. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> so we got to meet in person. But really, it's been a pleasure to meet you. And I, and I thank everyone in your audience for all of you who are listening, wherever you are, whether you're driving or walking or jogging, whatever you're doing in your life. I really thank each and every one of you for tuning in and, and giving us your most valuable possession, your time. So thank you so much for all tuning in. It's really been my honor. Right. Grateful to have you on the show. And thank you for sharing, as I said, all of your wisdom. So, so blink off, uh, amazing singer, songwriter, <laughs> animator, storyteller. Uh, but, you know, underneath and within all of those stories, as I said, some stuff that we can take away, learn and action to create better lives for ourselves and others. So thank you for coming on the show today. As I said, very grateful. It's been awesome speaking with you. Thank you, brother. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you enjoy the show just as much as I enjoy creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me. It helps the show. Plus, it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything you heard in today's show, or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.